And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, December 3rd. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and look who it is. It's Britt Giroli back with us after some much-deserved time off. Britt, thank you for taking time off because temporarily baseball pretended like it wasn't going to have a lockout and then a bunch of really cool things happened. So we had a lot to talk about all week long. So I'm going to give you full credit for that flurry of activity that no one expected to see prior to the expiration of the CBA. Yeah, naturally, I spent four days in Carlsbad at the GM meetings and really had my finger on the pulse because I kept telling people, God, it's going to be a really slow month until they figure out the CBA. (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. And now it's, uh, it's a long December. The conspiracy theorist in me is like, did they just do that so they could say that, you know, we just spent $1.7 on on players, you know, what are they complaining about? No, I heard from a lot of agents that, like, teams were nervous, too, about what was going to be coming. And I think they just felt better having... Having something locked yeah. in. Addressing needs with rules they knew as opposed to having to address them later with rules that might be different. Well, th- that's the thing. If the rules change, uh, I... Like the, I think, I think the luck. I think that's what you did see is the teams that weren't that close to the lug sacks. They were the ones that spent the most, right? The the teams that were really close to the lug sacks were in the lug sacks. The only one that spent was the Mets, right? And they were just kind of like, whatever, whatever the rules are, we're, we're going for it. But like the the big ones, like the Dodgers, Yankees, and Red Sox. Like I think they were like, well, I'd rather know what the penalties are before I go over. Or, you know, whatever. You know, what I'd like, like to know what the Lux tax looks like. Yeah, the penalties the same? Are they worse? Is the threshold going up? Is the threshold going away? You know, yeah. what, what's going to happen? I think the threshold going away, that's a pipe dream. That's not happening. So I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to delete that out, but I'm going to say that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, there were more moves, though. We recorded on Wednesday, and I think on the episode we said, well, it'd be pretty hard to get a physical done between now and, and uh, 11.59 Eastern or 12.01, or I forget what the final cutoff was, but uh, it's not going to work. Nothing else is going to happen. And we actually had one more big signing. Well, two, if you're Eno, we had a trade. We had some relievers on the move. We had a player come back from overseas and sign a multi-year two, deal. Two, if you're Eno, just going to let that slide. <laughs> ah! While you were gone, Britt, I must have mentioned Rich Hill's name about 18 times. <laughs> oh, so this was a blockbuster move. This is a huge. huge move for me. Huge, huge. <laughs> Uh, I, put, I put Rich Hill on every team that needed a starter. <laughs> to be he fair, did. he's a great veteran, like guy to plug I in. I mean, what he what is like five million again? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's no no big deal for for a team that can afford it, and he probably give him a hundred good innings or maybe a hundred and forty. Yeah, yeah, none of that was really the problem with the conversation. It was the the Jays should add Kyle Seager, and then he's like the hitting version of Rich Hill was the. <laughs> <laughs> That's that was the moment we jumped the shark with That's the Rich Hill mentions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. But yeah, he's, a, he's, he's not old enough to be Rich Hill anyway. Well, I was listening to uh, Max Scherzer talk about how the Dodgers ruined him um, because they tried to keep his pitch count in check down the stretch, uh-huh. and he thinks that lowered his work capacity, and that in turn uh, is why he didn't have the work capacity but, in the playoffs to do what he did in nineteen. Um, but the that numbers didn't really line up on that. The no. numbers didn't really line up on that. No, but I, I, it's he had like one less pitch per per start with the Dodgers than with the, with the Nationals. Yeah, the work capacity argument is also interesting because I mean he's older. He's what people don't remember is 2019 was two years ago, so he's older than he was. Yeah, then. I know. No, um, and that's you never want to say that to a player. 
Not oh him either. God. He's he's absolutely terrifying. Uh, to say that too. I've said I, it to some that are legitimately old. You know, like where they're like near the end of their career, old, and they've they've dropped the f bomb back at me. <laughs> yeah, I think my first or second day on the Nats beat in nineteen. Jamal Collier, who now works at ESPN, does basketball, asked Scherzer about getting older, and we were in a big <laughs> big scrum, twenty people. And or everyone's so. like, Scherzer just stopped, <laughs> stared at him. For like 10 <laughs> seconds. And you know, he's got the two different color eyes. He's terrifying. Oh um, my God. Just stared at him and was like, next question. I was like, okay, I'm never asking that guy about his age again. <laughs> Lovely. Um, never. <laughs> yeah. That's not something they want to talk about. So Rich Hill goes back to a familiar place. Um, this is a Boston rotation that I think deserves an incomplete grade. They added two pitchers. It was Hill and Michael Walker, who we talked about earlier this week. You know, they have the health grade D minus, health grade F probably on this rotation. I like Nathan Evaldi. I think he's probably underrated in terms of what he does on a perining basis. But you've got Sale, who wasn't quite himself coming back. You've got Hill. You've got Waka. You've got James Paxton, who they added also oh, for depth for the future, yeah. right? Like they're, if there's they're something below on, an F, Paxton gets it. They're leaning into risk, but. With that, if you find a way to keep pitchers healthy or if you have enough of these guys and you can lean on depth when you're missing a couple of them, okay, okay, that can that can work. It, it's not it's not stable, but it can work. I think there's some brilliance to it. It's kind of what like the Dodgers have done to an extent and even the Giants. The IL is the option for an older player. You know what I mean? The IL is like the secret option where you can be like, you know, oh, he's not pitching that well. Oh, his arm hurts. <laughs> yeah well right. yes, his, yes his old hurts <laughs> and let's see if we can get him right and if we can't he'll just be on the il or we'll release him eventually you know or or someone else will get hurt and then we'll bring him back you know i think the il is like basically a way to manipulate the roster absolutely it's why these older it, guys it was such a big deal like two years ago when they changed it from 15 days remember because mm. 15 days is three starts so right. you really kind of had to be hurt it was a lot harder to phantom dl guys Rather than just kind of giving them a little time off, so yeah, now once, it's now it's ten. You, you could even miss just one start if you kind of time it right. Right, so it's I don't think it's ever going to go back to the longer one, but it certainly has really. As soon as they did it, people were like, "Teams are going to mess with this," and sure enough, I think there was a record, and there's been a record every year since for IL stints. And you know, it makes injury analysis hard too because you're like, "Oh, people are being injured at a higher rate," and you're just like, "Are they though?" You know, it's kind of kind of hard to tell. But, it, you know, I did talk to a veteran pitcher uh, who, who said that, like, literally the team came to him and said, we want to put you on the IL or we're going to release you. And he actually pitched, like, two more seasons after that. So, you know, like, it, it wasn't like he was super done. But, like, you know, that's that's a thing that happens in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the but- big thing that happened on Wednesday. Go ahead, Britt. No, but I mean, I was going to get back to the signings and the fact that I also thought, again, stay hot, that once we got to Wednesday, that there wasn't going to be any more movement. And there was. There was a ton. Um, yeah, but this this one surprised me. Like Marcus yeah. Stroman to the Cubs at last last minute, though there were later deals than this on Wednesday. And it was a three-year deal for $71 million was what I saw. I, I couldn't believe that because I thought with, with Ray and Gospin, we compared those three guys a lot on this show. With those guys each getting five years, I assumed Stroman would also get five years. And I also didn't expect the Cubs to spend right now, even though the Cubs can spend anytime they want. They're one of the cornerstone franchises. They've got bottomless pockets. There's no issue with spending. It's kind of a question of, well, how good do you think you're going to be? And when do you want to add players? And when do you want to just you know take extra profit? Like That's the question they're asking themselves all the time. But Stroman is another, it's another play in stuff without velocity. And I don't care if he blocks me on Twitter. I don't follow a lot of players anyway. I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. This is actually a pretty good signing, but it, it's interesting to me that it fits in so much with the things they've tried to do in past years, albeit while spending less money, right? Strowman, Hendricks, Edbert Alzale, probably their big three. They added Wade Miley previously for some depth. Alec Mills is still there. They're it's probably not done now. too. It, it's, it's starting to shape up to be a rotation that can at least give you the innings you need. I would say they're probably adding one more, likely from the bargain corner, even though that pool is starting to dry up pretty fast. There's but, no Rich Hill anymore. 
Yeah, well, you can't yeah. you can't go everywhere, you know. You can't have thirty rich hills. I, I have know, like a, a body count counter, except it's like the rich hill comment counter. <laughs> I, if I had more graphic tools at my disposal, <laughs> I'd have that running. Yeah, ching, ching, ching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when you look at Strowman um, and you look at a deal like that, I think the Cubs were more comfortable doing the like higher AAV and less years mm-hmm. because you look at the five-year deals and you look at a team like the Cubs who say they're competing now, but could very easily, and we've seen this kind of pivot, um, you know, maybe Stroman pitches all three years here. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but doesn't I think, that even. right. I think when you look at what Jed Hoyer is trying to accomplish, um, they don't want to go through this like long, arduous rebuild. Um, they want to compete now, but they also don't want to saddle themselves with the contracts and some of the mistakes that they made in the past. Um, so I think this makes a lot of sense. I don't follow Marcus Stroman either, but he gets retweeted into my timeline all the time. And he like, did he really drive to Chicago to like hopped in his car as soon as it was done to get a physical? Did you guys I mean, read that? I think that's what we, that's, I think that was what's behind the flurry. Cause I did reach out to some people on teams and be like, what's going on? Like, how are these still happening? And, and they were saying, I think that we didn't know about some physicals. So some people had the physicals done before we even heard about the deal. And that's probably some of the smaller deals. Like, um, uh, some of the reliever deals, like Mark Melanson side on Wednesday, right? Corey Knable, yeah, yeah Corey Knable. Yeah, the they probably just had first. the. They probably got like we're doing the physical when it when like when the uh, when it when it when we heard about it, you know, like they got further along. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Stroman had to like had to like goose this and 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 make sure that it it got done before uh, before it went down. But I like that deal better than Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman, honestly. Yeah. I know that he doesn't have the strikeout rate, but he has a great ground ball rate. He, I think he can have more strikeouts. You know, I think he could add more sliders and cutters and take a few, you know a few sinkers out. Um, and uh, I like his wide arsenal. I like his ground ball rate. I like his athleticism, his defense. Like I like the shorter deal. Like I, I like that deal better. Yeah, there's just a lot more flexibility for the team on a three year deal than a five year deal. Even if you're paying the extra AAV, because like Britt suggested, I think you can more easily flip him if things aren't going the way you want at any point. It's an easier sell trading to other teams when you're only talking about taking on, you know, yeah, too, the remaining yeah. season. He's plus more of a trade plus asset. Two, for sure. Uh, but that's still, man, that depth chart, they they'd still need to make a lot of moves if they're going to uh, put a team together that's actually competitive in that division. It is funny. What do you think? What do you think this signals? There's, I got, you know, I, I got a lot of, um, questions from people being like oh yeah this means they're going to spend right like they're gonna they're gonna do more they they need this and this and i kind of someone said they need a left more lefty power and another starter and i was like you know uh how about a chris archer kyle schwarber reunion and to me that would be like kind of the top end of what they would do going forward (laughs) like i just don't see them you know, paying maybe story but like I, i just don't see them paying for like carlos correa does that make sense? Maybe. I don't think they're a Korea team, Korea. but they they certainly could be. Like there's there's no reason why they can't be, right? If you're a Cubs yeah. fan, you're like more more more. Well, you you should shoot for the moon. You should But he's, hope you your know, team he's also Carlos a righty Korea. and they have like two guys that could play shortstop and they seem to, you know, two young guys and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I see them as a Korea team, but I I think none of us saw them signing Strom into this kind of a deal, so they could they could make they a could few be other the moves mystery team, that right? surprise yeah. us. NL Central isn't particularly intimidating. Um, I, so but I Schwarber think that, and Archer would fit, I think, the Stroman thing, where it's like Schwarber wouldn't is not going to take five years, you know? Yeah. Schwarber could be a three-year deal. Archer could be a one-year deal. They could keep that flexibility, and they could say, "Hey, we're trying to we're trying to make a competitive team. You get the lefty power. You get you have five, you know, starters. You know." Yeah. It's weird. They had a couple of lefties. Uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo could, could bring him back if you wanted to. Like, I, I don't know. I just I didn't see this coming because I just didn't think they were spending now. I thought they were going to spend a year or two from now and kind of do the big market, turn the roster over a bunch of times, and then add later. But as we've said, like, Stroman's not available next winter. So if you want him for 2023 and 2024, you also have to have him for 2022. So maybe that's part of the thinking here as well. I think the interesting thing about these deals as we look at starting pitchers, I mean, Rich Hill shouldn't have been first in the rundown, but he had to be because this is the show that we we put together. So you have this choice with your one-year pitchers between guys like Hill who have more injury concerns or they're older and you're worried about the volume of innings versus guys like Dylan Bundy who ended up with the Twins uh, on a one-year deal. 
who have like a massive skills problem that needs to be fixed and maybe needs to, to tinker with mechanics or go through some sort of major overhaul to get back to previous levels. And you know, Bundy, Bundy showed a ceiling that I didn't think he had anymore prior to his 2021 collapse. He ends up in Minnesota on a one-year deal. In terms of team and fit, that one kind of checks out. That's the sort of deal you're like, okay, yeah, that, that seems like the kind of player that they would go after to address their needs. You're getting innings, more likely than not. But how good are those innings going to be? Britt, you've seen a lot of Dylan Bundy over the years, and now we've seen this Jekyll and Hyde routine over the last two seasons. Do you think the Twins can ultimately get him back to at least being kind of a, a mid-rotation, above-average Major League starter again? Yeah, it's fascinating to me to watch the different trajectory of Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bundy because those were the two guys that were supposed to be the hope for Baltimore to turn it around uh, before this current rebuild. And I think with Bundy, it's still in there. Like this was a guy who was run up the flagpole very early. Uh, Mm -hmm. You do wonder how much like his work conditions, like he was throwing at crazy distances. He was doing crazy workout regimens. The Orioles were always concerned about that. You do wonder how much that and all the early injuries he had kind of, just put his career on hold because it seemed like you're just always waiting similar to Hunter Harvey, who the giants just picked up because they were else put him on waivers. Uh, you're always waiting for him to get healthy and to kind of be that guy. I do think that the twins are well known for being a good organization, an organization that could develop and find some of these weaknesses and make them better. I think the Kevin Gossman deal, uh, I know we talked about earlier, it's an, you're giving nine figures to a guy in Toronto now who had struggled mightily in the American League East based off of one, pretty much one good year. I think that deal is much more of a gamble than people realize it is. We talked about Stroman. At least Stroman has, um, you know, the durability. He always took the ball for the Mets. I think when you look at, you know, risk reward here, I think that Kevin Gossman might have a higher ceiling at this point in his career, but Marcus Stroman to me would be a more dependable guy. And I'm surprised that Toronto decided that they were going to go all in on five years of Kevin Gossman. Um, But back to Bundy, I I do think he could be an interesting like comeback story somewhat. Um, I do also think that this could be the end of the road. If he doesn't turn it around here, you wonder what does he just become a has-been, you know, another well-named bust. Transition to to the the bullpen or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's sad because, you know, everything is there. The talent is there. The work ethic is there. This is a guy who like eat, sleeps, breathes baseball. Um, and he just hasn't been able to put it together though, to be fair, he just came from a place in Anaheim where the pitching was atrocious. They lost Mickey Calloway was their pitching coach. There was a lot of transitions that were happening there. Um, and I think that that certainly didn't help. So I, I hope that he can find it in Minnesota. I really do. Yeah. I think the quick question it's, I'll throw the follow-up in Eno's direction is that we saw the home run rate drastically improve in the shortened season for Dylan Bundy. And that was just never that was never good during his time in Baltimore. And obviously a significant part of that is the park Camden yards boost homers, but it snapped all the way back to those Camden sort of numbers in 2021. So is that just part of the profile? Because we did see some walk rate improvement in the shortened season from Bundy as well. We've always said you can get away with one of those skills flaws. You can't be a little worse than average with walks and a lot worse than average with homers, it will come back to bite you. And it certainly did in a big way, which Bundy was also dealing with a shoulder injury in 2021 as well. So maybe that was part of why the skills went the wrong way too. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was some of the worst velo of his career last year, especially near the end of the season. Uh, he was struggling to crack 90 on the fastball. Uh, so I think some some injury uh, was part of it. Uh, I think that you know in a short sample, uh, the least the most noisy uh, thing out there is uh, your home run rate. Uh, it's the thing that we know the least. Like it, it, it's the thing that needs the highest sample to to kind of to tell us what we need to know. Um, but then you're also seeing um, just some drop off in the ride on his fastball, and uh, you know everything was sinking more. Um, which, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised here checking his vertical release point. Um, yeah, there was, there was some, some movement in his vertical release point as, uh, it's come down off of peak in, in 2019. So he's, uh, I think he's probably, he was a little bit hurt. You know, I think he, he was dealing with something. He's had that long injury history. 
the velo is dropping. Uh, I would say that they hope he can get healthy. But I think in general, there's this uh, a little bit of a, a struggle in front offices between um, innings and floor and upside. And, you know, Britt was, was speaking to this a little bit um, when she was talking about how much of a gamble Gossman is, how much a gamble Ray is, how Stroman has the higher floor. Um, but that goes on all the way down your rotation you know, and I was talking uh, to to one uh, team official that was like, you know, I don't really care about floor because I feel like my guys, uh, my young guys can bring me floor. And so all I want to do is chase upside on the market. I want to buy free agents that, that, you know, I think represent upside. So they were much more interested in somebody like Carlos Rodon uh, than they would be in like Tyler Anderson. Um, when you're talking about sort of a three or four in terms of, I'd rather give Rodone like, you know, two and 20, uh, you know, two and 40, uh, two, two, 20, uh, two, I would rather give Rodone two and 40 than give Tyler Anderson three and 40. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I could imagine that that's where, that's where you can get that surplus value. Not only do you get the performance if it works out and your team is good, but then you also have a better trade chip if it doesn't work out whereas if you go for floor and you're just trading innings you're going to get something back for that player everyone needs innings for the most part as you move through a season you're not getting impact prospects yeah back. the pirates didn't get much for Tyler Anderson and then on top of that what we were talking about just earlier about the IL being like the option for an older player right like with Rodon he's either good or he's hurt right so that's kind of easy to deal with because the IL is unlimited right but with Tyler Anderson he might just be okay. And then your young guys, you're like, wow, Colby Allard really took a step forward this year. What do I do with Tyler Anderson now? Yeah. Do I just re- release him like one year into this three-year deal? Or I can't, like in the bullpen, he's not going to be that much value to me. And it would be kind of weird to just put him on the IL when he's kind of been, you know, healthy. Yeah. That's true. Those are good points. Did you guys see, so we talked about fast all these deals came together. Justin Verlander is still not done, so now he's in limbo, even though that was agreed upon pretty early. I want to say, what, weeks ago? Two weeks ago? This is the team that, like, didn't draft Brady Aiken, right? So I bet you they're disputing something in his his physical. Yeah. So that just gets put on pause. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple moves on hold, right? Didn't the Orioles sign a reliever and he didn't get Lyles and he didn't get his physical? Um, and then I think there's one more that like was placed on hold. Um, the, of course the most obvious one where, you know, the player, you know, the physical condition, Freddie Freeman didn't seem to really get any traction, which kind of surprised me. Right. It was kind of an easy hanging out thing out there for the Braves to just go get him. They, he I mean, lives if in you, Atlanta. They know what it, his physical is going to be. He's like, he's, I think, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that he's in the hall of fame now, but I think he's on a hall of fame track. And, you know, he would go in as a brave, but he, you know, there's a chance that if he goes to the Hall of Fame, he signs somewhere else for the next six years, he might go on with someone else's hat, which I don't know. That's not everything, but that's, you know, that's something, you know, it's nice to have more braves in the Hall of Fame. And then on top of that, um, you know, the ass sounds like 6180. Uh, that's not, I'm, I mean, yeah, you'd probably rather have like five and one fifty or something, and try to keep it. You know, not not pay that last year. But when you have uh, Acuna and Albies on these like really small deals, like what it might be okay to have one guy who's a little bit overpaid near the end of his career. You know. Yeah. Also, when you have a guy who won a World Series for you, fans are fans are never going to be like, "Oh, why did we sign Freddie Free?" You know what I mean? Right. Like he's built up that goodwill. Even that- yeah, even if he's like Albert Pujols at the end, right? They'll be like, "He still gave us that that ring." Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if you, if you sign him from some other organization and then he was that player at the end of his career, there'd be a lot more resentment there. Yeah, like Freddie Freeman in year six on the Cardinals or, or on the Dodgers, and he hasn't done anything for the Dodgers. They're everyone's yelling at him. Yeah, and Freeman, and we say this a lot. He should age about as gracefully as any hitter, right? He doesn't strike out a lot. He doesn't reach. He walks a ton. Still has good power, but he is thirty-two. Like that's six but years on a thirty-two-year-old. A long it's not time. Not Pujols. No. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, if it's a six-year deal now, it's not giving Pujols all that money in all those years. Also, when he came in, Chipper Jones and all those guys were there. Like, there is value to having a Freddie Freeman, even if he's not producing in the final years of his contract. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they definitely can be. How much, how much do you think proximity to home matters to a player at this stage of his career, right? Because this is this is last big contract time for Freddie Freeman, right? And I think, but how do you it's define up, home? I mean, he lives in Atlanta, but he also grew up in L.A. I mean, grew right. up in Orange County. That's why people keep throwing the Dodgers out there as as the other team that would go out and get Freddie Freeman. It doesn't that just doesn't seem like the way Andrew Friedman in that front office would would go like giving six years to a 32 year old anything. I, I just that don't think that's that, really seem that, like that seems like that goes against them. But it, okay, yeah, home home matters like for sure. But I, I don't know. Like they with Trevor Story, there was this idea. Oh, what's well, the Rangers or the Astros because he's a He's a Dallas kid. He grew up, I think, in Irving, oh, Texas. The, right the outside funniest of Dallas. was Chris Bryant to... Wait, oh, jeez. Yeah, Colorado because it's Rockies close to Vegas. he's from Las yeah. Vegas. <laughs> and someone, I, I think, tweeted that New York and Chicago are, are closer than uh, <laughs> Vegas and Denver. I think cover, like covering guys you know, in clubhouses, I think, is a tiebreaker if everything else is equal. Like Scherzer, for example, mentioned how it's nice that the, the West Coast would have been tough on his family because they live in Jupiter. The Mets have a spring training home in Florida, so now he'll be able to see his kids more. Now, that's important, I think. I think that's right. legit. But I think if the Dodgers or West Coast team had blown away the Mets in an offer... Yeah, they'd gone to 45 or 50, yeah. That wouldn't have been a hindrance, right? I think it is a tiebreaker when everything else is equal and you start to get into these little things. But at the end of the day, it's about who offers you the most money. And it mostly a, a big part of it is because when you're done, a lot of times you're done at 40. That's a very early retirement and you can be involved with your kids uh, in a big part after that. So Buster Posey comes to mind where, you know, he's re- retired now. And yes, someone asked him in his retirement thing, are, are you going to move back to Georgia? Like your whole family's in Georgia. And he's like, yeah, probably, you know, probably soon. Uh, not right away. You know, we've been in San Francisco for so long, like, you know, we'll probably, you know, still have a base out here. But uh, at some point, we're probably going to move back. And he's now like, what, like 38 and has twins, you know, and like, yeah. they're like newborn, you know, <laughs> so it's like, he's fine. Like he, he he's going to be the do the parenting after the career. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think there are a lot of other factors that play into it. Does does the player have a spouse? Does the player and spouse do they have a family? Like that's that's huge. Where where is the other side of the family located? Like mm-hmm. where where the player grew up is only half of the equation. If there's a, a family structure in place, the, that's right. the other person in the relationship maybe didn't grow up in the and same. How place, rich so. did they get? Did they get so rich they just moved the whole family in with that, you know into houses around them? Then like then they're like, hey, we all live in California now. It's fine. <laughs> I right. bought them all houses. <laughs> yeah. Just... People love to speculate, though, based on where these guys are from, where they're going to go. I just think yeah. it has such a it's such a minute. Again, it's a tiebreaker. It's such a minute thing. These guys are making enough money to have nannies and have help. The oh, wives yeah. usually don't work. It's just a yeah. different scenario than the rest of us would think about weighing for jobs. And even then, if we were making this kind of money. I want to be close to you know family because I don't make that kind of money, and they want them around to like take care of my kids when so I can go out to eat. But like you know, these people have like people on staff. Yeah, uh, I think that the two things I've talked a little bit to players about this, but I'm also just trying to be like you know I'm trying to put myself in their heads. I think the two things that would matter with this, the deal, and I think the second place thing would be how good is the team. Yeah, I think people care. You know, I have talked to one that is approaching free agency who's like, yeah, I care. I would rather be on a good team. It's probably a little more fun. Probably gives your work a little more meaning to play for a good team than to play for a team that's a consistent bottom feeder. Yeah. Then the other thing is how how much is money? There's some balance. I think number one is money. (laughs) Very, very, very. But I think there's like 1A would be how good is the team? Well, the reason for 1A, though, is if you join the Dodgers, you're almost guaranteed a playoff share every year. No, so that's, that's more money. Significant, that's a significant bump too. So it always kind of factors of back. Way. Always kind of factors back to money, right? You're on a good team. It's a lot easier to have multiple all stars on a good team. A lot of guys, most guys, all stars is money too. All star bonuses. So like that all factors in. Winning pays. Um, so yeah, I, I I believe that too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about some relievers that have been on the move recently. Mark Melanson to Arizona. As I tweeted, you could have given me 24 guesses as to which team would sign Mark <laughs> Melanson, and they would not have been in my top 24. It's a two-year deal for Melanson. Uh, yeah, it could be a trade him this summer sort of thing. The good news from a fantasy perspective, they don't have anyone pushing him for saves, and it's hard to find people with individual holds on closer roles. I would say Mark Melanson has that in Arizona, so we're excited from that perspective. Arizona is one of those teams. We didn't talk a lot about them this season because it was a disaster year for them on, on so many levels. It wasn't supposed to be, right? It, it looked like they could have been a, a mid-pack NL West team that maybe they would have finished 500 if things went well for them this year. That was sort of the, the rosy outlook for them. Instead, they had that dreadful stretch that... I can't remember how bad it was, but it was truly awful that just sank their entire season. They dealt with injuries. They had underperformers. And they're not interesting on paper when you look at this roster right now. like They have more work to do. Signing a reliever first is just straight up weird. They do have some young talent getting closer, but they need a bridge to that young talent. They're still a couple years away from most of that prospect core being truly ready to take over and plus they're in a division with the Dodgers the Giants and the Padres all trying to win right now so they're kind of facing that uphill battle as well is there any logical other move that you see with Arizona because Melanson wasn't logical at all and I feel like if you're doing that you're probably doing something else somewhere on this roster yeah I'm with you I would have get I mean Arizona just kind of gets the shaft because they're not so, so bad like the Orioles where we talk about, oh, my God, they're so bad. They're going nowhere. Right. But they also haven't been interesting or really relevant in a while. And I was shocked. I'm still shocked. I still would love to know, like, what the Melanson thing was about. Um, Were they like, you know what? We need to make sure we have this reliever on lockdown for the late innings. Like, what? Is that a priority for the team? I'm I'm still like totally flummoxed by this move and by the the logic and the reasoning. Is Arizona gonna turn the tables? Are they gonna all of a sudden try to go for it? Um, because otherwise, why do you do that? Do you do that because you don't want to lose games late in the late in the game because that's a bad way for to lose because you're now bringing up maybe some young players and you you don't want that gut punch. I, I I'm actually just throwing ideas out there because I still can't fathom the reasoning behind it i mean projections have them as a bottom five team right and it's kind of hard i I don't really see what what am i if you argue against that you have to argue that varsho breaks out uh i'm i'm (laughs) the list is already catel Marte stays and bounces back to 2019 levels rojas takes a step forward gallon recovers bumgarner yeah, full season as an ace. Bumgarner and Kelly are good two threes, or maybe Luke Weaver turns into a two. Uh, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of wish casting. And then you know, looking on the free agent market, assuming I'm just assuming they're not like a Korea team. You know, I I would look for like younger guys on the free agent market that maybe had some upside, and so that would be like a Clint Clint, Clint Fraser type, right? But gone. And then gone. if you're looking for anybody under 30 that, you know, it could turn into something like Albert Almora. Uh, like what, like what are we even talking about here? Like who? <laughs> I, that should or, be the title of this segment. What are we even talking about? Here? Yeah. But like, or they go the old, old, but cheap and try to do like Kyle Seeger at third and make Rojas a, a you know, a floating guy. And then their infield is Seeger, Ahmed, Marte, Walker. I don't know. I just don't. 
I don't know. Maybe they just think that uh, that something that Melanson is very. Yeah, I think you know he's he's proven that he's very solid and uh, you know capable, and so maybe they think that he becomes a trade asset. Is this like an agent favor? Those happen sometimes. I'm not sure. I have to, I can't explain it. Trying to set up a, a future deal with someone else by doing this now. I guess that's a possibility. Uh, but yeah, one playoff appearance in the last 10 seasons for Arizona. It doesn't look like that's going to change in uh, 2022. Just didn't make any sense at all. Uh, Corey Knable to Philly made a lot of sense because the Phillies have had some ongoing bullpen issues. And Knable, when he's healthy, is very good. Corey Knable, I think, can be a top 10 reliever with health. I think he's shown that sort of ceiling before. So I actually, I like this fit in terms of, of skills and team. And it's a one-year, $10 million deal. So it's not... You know, it's not three for 40. It's not the longer term deal that other relievers that have this sort of ceiling can get probably because of recent injury issues. But I mean, Canable bounced back in a big way with the Dodgers in 2021, 30 Ks against nine walks and 25 and two thirds innings ERA in the mid twos whip under one. Is there anything I'm missing or is this actually a possible top 10 closer landing in Philadelphia, you know? I got him uh, as a top 10 stuff guy uh, in, in terms of free agent relievers. Um, one thing that you like to see uh, sometimes, uh, you know, is for him to have people that can actually hand games to him. You know, you couldn't be a top 10 closer on some of those past Phillies teams, even if he was a good closer, because they would blow the save before they even got to him, you know. Uh, but now I'd say with Alvarado, Brogdon, and Coonrod, they've got a lot of velo, at least in that pen, even Sir Anthony Dominguez. So, like, you know, they don't have great command in that bullpen, but they've got a lot of velocity. So I think that they might actually have been, might actually have done the work of turning this bullpen around, which uh, was a Sisyphean task. <laughs> yeah, well, I still think they need, like, probably two more late inning relievers, though. Really? Two more? Yeah. Two, two more? Yeah. Yes. They've been trying. They got right. I think Sharon. they need, I think it's one, at least one to go into the season and then maybe one more at the deadline, depending on how that group that Eno described, like how well they stay healthy and, and how much command possibly improves with that group. I, I, I would, to be a legit, like deep playoff team. Yeah. I think two, but I think, are they going to spend up on two? That doesn't seem likely. I don't know. I mean, to me, in a perfect world, Knievel is the setup guy, right? You get someone better than him, and now your bullpen is pretty good, right? Now you can kind of find a way to navigate through the first two-thirds of the game. You feel pretty good about how it's going after. But, I mean, keep in mind, as you guys know, there's always somebody hurt, it feels like, in the bullpens. You never have too many relievers. I I would. I know they need some other help elsewhere, right? They need some outfield help, um, probably a pitcher, but a starting pitcher. But I think when you look at how to make this Phillies team good. And you look at, okay, how are they going to compete against the Braves and the Mets and the NL East? And I think you have to think about getting two more good arms. Otherwise, what are you doing? Did you just, are you just going to keep wasting NL MVP seasons from Bryce Harper? But they, I, the, my only problem is that they, you know, at this point, I think the bullpen looks like in better shape than their outfield other than Harper. They've got right now at the top of their uh, depth charts, Matt Moniak and Adam Hazley. And I don't even know. Yeah. If Hazley is, um, didn't wasn't he like? Oh, he came back from that. Didn't he like leave the team? What? Yeah, he was away for a little while. Matt Veerling also in the mix. They have to add an outfielder, yeah. probably two, a starter and like a fourth outfielder that they can trust to play a lot more. I could see Schwarber and then like just pushing all the young guys to center and being like between Moniak, Hazley, maybe Kingery, maybe Veerling. Like we we'll just put the young guys in center. And we'll go Schwarber Harbor on the corners. I mean, that no, would they be could out. buy. They could buy one more reliever. I don't know what do they have in their system. Do you guys? Do they have I, someone I, outfield? Do they have someone who can graduate to any of these? Uh, I think Veerling is the is the uh, is the guy that they can maybe hope. He's twenty five. Uh, I don't think he really wants to. Play. They, they want him in center, but uh, that that would be the awkwardness about like high, high, getting Schwarber is that the Veerling wouldn't be that great in center, and so he'd be you'd be making him a fourth outfielder. But Veerling was really good when he debuted, uh, although he didn't have great barrel rates. So I don't know. Uh, may, might have all been batted ball luck. So I've got a couple thoughts here with the Phillies. Uh, if you're going to add another impact reliever, it's probably via trade. I think I've seen the Phillies linked to the Josh Hader rumors over the years. I've seen them linked more recently to Craig Kimbrell. 
I think in either of those circumstances, the the Brit scenario plays out where Knable's the second best option, and you've got Alvarado as a great three. That's a really nice trio at the back. If it ends up being Alvarado, Knable, and I think Kimbrel's a lot more likely based on the White Sox desire to move him and what it's going to take prospect wise, what the Phillies have. So that's sixteen million. It's another big lift that way, which means they're probably going cheaper than to fill the outfield problem. And then I think the other question, though, that I have, the first thing I said was just speculation. So just cast that aside. just seems like a thing that could happen that way. How much do you trust the rotation? Wheeler, Nola, great one-two. Ranger Suarez, I think, is a pretty polarizing player from a fantasy perspective for me because we didn't see it for very long. He was fantastic in every role he was asked to hold. When you start drilling into the underlying numbers, I don't come away with an expectation that he's somehow like this breakout guy that's going to keep a a low threes ERA and a great whip and a strikeout per inning over a full season as a starter. I don't see that coming from him. Maybe other people do. Like I, I think they they need like even more than they need extra relievers. Like if yeah, great. If you go get Kimbrel, that makes you better. If they could find one more starter and just leave the bullpen as is, I think that's a, a more impactful move if they can't do both. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, I mean, I've always said that they feel a little bit stuck because, you know, if they did add Kimbrel, they'd be at, you know, 200 million or really close. And so then it would just be, hey, the rest of you figure it out. Um, and that would be a little bit weird in that outfield. So. Uh, but I, I guess I could, I, I see enough in the, in the bullpen where I'd say, Hey, go spend that money somewhere else. But yeah. And then coming up, um, you know, they, you know, there's some guys like Bryson Stott is a, is a shortstop. That's kind of fun. 24 left-handed, uh, kind of killed it in the Arizona fall league. He could be close did some time in AAA last year. Uh, but I think that's just what what do we do after D.D. Gregorius? Because D.D. Gregorius is pretty old to be a shortstop. Could you make D.D. A, like a utility guy around the infield and just play yeah. play Stott more? Oh, sure. And, I think you'd be happy if Stott was ready. dependent yeah, on, but, on Bohm, I mean, too. then you could try Stott in center, but I think that would be uh, not taking the most advantage of, of, of his uh, capabilities. And then you'd still have to need a shortstop after D.D., right? So... Uh, you know, maybe Moniac can, can handle it. He, you know, he, he has an interesting kind of a wild story where he was, uh, uh, he's a one, one guy, you know, he's the first pick overall in the draft. And then seemed like, uh, he was a total bust, uh, in the minor leagues to, to be Frank. Um, and now has had a couple years in the minor leagues where he's looked a little better. Um, but, uh, still projects to be below average, uh, you know, kind of near replacement. So. But then if you look at the – that's where center field trade might – if I was going to use trade assets, I think I might use it in center field. Unless I, I'd heard something from Adam Hazley that's like he's coming back and he can be our guy. The free free agency is a really bad place to look for a center fielder. I mean, you don't want to sign 38-year-old Brett Gardner. Kevin Pillar is not really a center fielder anymore. And then the next best uh, outfielder, center fielder is Odebel Herrera. Could they? I mean, they could go out and maybe make a deal for Kevin Kiermeyer and find a way to send some money back, or you know, balance mm-hmm. it out that way, and and just you know, play the defensive route. That could certainly happen. Ooh, the blockbuster! Cedric I mean, that's what Mullins. everybody wants, but it's Cedric kind of. Mullins. I think that's you know, we keep circling that name, but I kind of I can't imagine the old Orioles trading away. But... Boom! Plus other stuff. No, because he's just. Yeah, I mean, do I think he's going to be part of the next great Orioles team? No. But um, it's just not good optics yeah. because he's still cheap. He's still youngish. Uh, you know, they're going to have Rushman probably come up next year. Um, They've got to pretend they're building towards something. I mean, it's like year three of the rebuild or something. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's year, th- I think it's year four. <laughs> That's bad, dude. This is supposed to be when it's coming together, you know? Like, hey, we got Rushman. We got Mullins. We got something. It is year four. We got- I left in 18, and that was like when they were forced to rebuild. And so 19, this is your four. So like somebody, and I didn't get to talk to Michael Elias at the GM meetings, uh, but I'd be curious to know, like, is this the year? This has to be the year you show some win-loss improvement. They did sign yeah. up the Odor. Uh, not going to light up anything, but. Um, you start, you start like, rolling up those good starters, like DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. I think they, I think they need to see the major leagues this year. Uh, that's it's such a tough 
task. It's a big leap already, but then to pitch in such a uh, hitter-friendly park like Camden Yards, I mean, you, you want to be optimistic, so but I think Orioles fans have seen this movie before. This was supposed to be D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez. This was Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bundy. Before that, this was <laughs> this was Chris Tillman, Brian Mattis, Jake Arrieta. Oh, that, um, that's going way you know, back. Like, that's like, like the 09 prospect I'm, I'm handbook. Old, guys. Uh, when, I came, <laughs> when I took the beat over in 10, that's all you kept hearing about was how these guys were like up and coming and these young birds were going to get it done with Matt Wieters behind the plate and um, – you know, it never really panned out. So I hope it's different, but it's just such a tall task. Um, I could play optimist for a moment, not for any reason other than to be like a devil's advocate, but you could you could probably talk yourself into where the Orioles are at in their rebuild right now and look at the 2021 Tigers and say, hey, you know, you might be a more watchable young team this year because of Rutschman, because of those young pitchers, you're going to struggle. You're not going to win a lot of games. The division is tough. All the things that make playing in Baltimore difficult are still there. But then, you know, fast forward to this time next year, maybe you are finally in that window where you're going to start adding the pieces that you need to be more competitive, to possibly make a run. I think the key difference is the AL East is not aging like the AL Central, it's not going to be as quick of a path to possibly contend for the division title. But at least, at least there could be some light at the end of the tunnel if you bring those guys up and they end up just staying healthy. I mean, like health is a big part of, of why a lot of those those pitching prospect groups of the past, not even just in Baltimore. I think around that same time, the Royals had one, and it was like it was Danny Duffy, I think originally, and it was like John Lamb and a bunch of guys like that, and it. It wasn't even close to working out. Injuries were a huge part of that, and I think that's that's something that you just you just need to keep those arms as healthy uh, as they possibly can be. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. There was a surprising trade, though. This is why I was thinking about the trading Kevin Kiermaier to the Phillies. and The Brewers ended up making a deal with the Red Sox just minutes before the faucet was turned off. Jackie Bradley Jr. goes back to Boston. I didn't think he was going anywhere. I just thought there was no, not really a clear and obvious path to move him somewhere else. But he goes back to a place where he, of course, had a lot more success in the past, where the Red Sox needed a good defensive, a great defensive center fielder, and maybe they can just get him back to his pre-2021 levels at the plate. Hunter Renfro goes to Milwaukee as part of the deal. That kind of balances out some of the money. But the other key that balanced out the rest of the money, two prospects, went to Boston as part of this deal. So basically to unload it was a salary dump. It was a salary dump by the Brewers where they gave up prospects to get 
kind of an Avi Sale Garcia replacement. Like Hunter Renfro, Avi Garcia, very similar players. The difference, of course, Hunter Renfro in arbitration, you're going year to year with him. Avi Garcia just got four years from the Marlins. So if you look at it that way, you could say, okay, the Brewers got back to where they were offensively. They moved JBJ, but it cost them two prospects. One actually grew up pretty close to Miller Park, just one of the suburbs nearby. Alex Benella is kind of an interesting power hitting uh, first base corner prospect. Oh, so I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm kind of curious to see I how that plays out. out. I figured it out. Yeah. Well, for the Red Sox, though, you you're selling really high on Renfro. Yep. So from their from yeah. their point of view, a oh, pretty good two, deal. Yeah, you, you get, get two, two prospects, prospects. Yeah, and you get yeah. that guy pay who's really well liked in Jackie Badley Jr. Really popular guy in the clubhouse and also just in the city of Boston. He's playing. Yeah. He's going to give you elite defense. Um, and David Stearns talked about this a little bit um, last month, how they felt like they never really got to see what Jackie Bradley Jr. could do in Milwaukee. They never really tapped into that. And he talked a little bit about, like, was it the change of teams? Was it the adjustments? Like, they they just, like, weren't able to, at least publicly, he didn't pinpoint, like, a specific reason. He was just not the guy that I think they felt that they were going to get in Milwaukee. So, I mean, these are the moves that Brewers have to make. They have to constantly think about how can we – save $10 million and keep this financial flexibility. Well, and we're going to get into that um, when we talk about the CBA for months and months, um, whether that's a real thing or a self-imposed budget from up, up above. Um, but, you know, I think from the Red Sox point of view, this is a good move. And for the Brewers, like you weren't getting the JVJ that you thought you were getting. So uh, it was a surprising trade, mostly because I thought all the moves were done. So who am I kidding? I've been surprised for the last week, guys. I mean, I <laughs> literally thought we were all going to be taking early November vacations while we waited for the CBA <laughs> stuff to go on. Uh, and I did take a vacation and missed some of this stuff. So um, I have the, the pulp. There is like insiders and then there's like people way inside. And cl- uh, clearly I'm neither. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think I figured it out. I was like, why are the brewers salary dumping? I can't, they didn't sign someone, you know, like what, what, what is it? And check this out. Two names for you. Uh, Kristen Yelich and Josh Hader in 2021. Yelich was paid 14 million in this coming season. He's due 26 million. It's first year of the extension, right? I think that's the, that's yes. the difference. Like, you know, signed a and while ago, but Hader is an arb three. And he just went from six million to ten million in the projections. And Woodruff goes from three million to probably double that. Projection right? for him. It's is gotta be Woodruff seven yeah, million. Like- so those three players, uh, the estimated payroll right now for the Brewers is one twenty one million on roster resource, and they've been around a hundred million for like three straight years. So are they gonna cut further? I think they could in the right deal. That's that's where the the hater trade, it's more realistic that's where now to make sense. than it was yeah. a year ago because he's more expensive now. He's a year older, right? He's a year closer to possibly beginning his decline. Like all all of those things and are you've true. You've developed Cousins and Williams, and you're like, well, we we have these two elite relievers. One of them can be the closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you trade Hater for what do you trade Hater for? You trade Hater for one reliever that you plug right into the into the bullpen right or some kind of bat right they still need some offense and no i think the centerpiece would be a bat because yeah. they're always, they're like always a looking really for good bats. impact bat yeah you would trade him for a center fielder hmm cedric mullins you trade him for a center fielder <laughs> and yeah, they don't need and a reliever you can plug in right away i'm, I'm just I'm trying, to, I'm, thinking of a three, I'm trying to think of a three-way trade that gets cedric mullins <laughs> to milwaukee and gets josh Hader to you know some other evil empire uh, we'll see. The Angels bought their bullpen. Uh, the Astros don't have extra center. I mean, it doesn't have to be a center fielder. They they could just take a bat. That 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 makes it a lot easier to to figure out. But who 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 would trade for Hater? Um, well, a lot of teams. What about the Phillies? We just talked about the Phillies needed. Someone. Yeah, the Phillies could do it. Uh, the Mets. I mean, Alec Bohm plus other stuff of some kind is probably where that conversation goes with the Phillies. Is that enough for Hater? That's not bad. Would you make Urias a utility guy? Probably. Hmm. Or or you play Bohm a lot at first base. Try him center. Someone try someone in center. Yeah, try Bohm at first. By the way, guys, uh, I think we did enough to not have to do uh, 
<laughs> I have to do the CVA this one. <laughs> but I do I do want to throw out there that, uh, you know, I'm working on a piece that's looking at this. And I talked to a player that was impassioned about this, uh, that the NLDH is a raw deal for players. It's not actually a good deal. It's not something they should give up anything for. And so if he... Uh, gets his way and I'm looking at the numbers and I, I think I agree with him that it's not a good deal you're not adding a new roster spot you're adding you're probably adding three or four uh, jobs out there on the market at tops uh, because most teams just cycle through guys through their DH so I'm actually beginning to think there won't be an NLDH hmm. Hmm. because I don't yeah. think the players should get anything up for that maybe they won't but would they if it's not if it doesn't come down to a bartering chip if it's just decided well this is just more of like a rules thing and a rule stuff's going to be handled separately do the players oppose it like it, it no, no no if they throw it in the rule stuff so the I, players I, will, will so take i think it, that's yeah. in reading some stuff about the cba but this just week, in terms of like the cba the, but they put the rule stuff away right yeah that's yeah. that's what the jason stark piece that was on the athletic today yeah it, it pointed out all these experiments that have been done on all these different levels they're a moot point as it pertains to the CBA negotiation because this is all about because service neither time and money. Side wants to, neither side wants to give up money for No, that. no. This is... This is uh, <laughs> right now, they're talking about money. This fight is about money, <laughs> and it's going to be ugly because fights about money are always ugly, right? This is, gonna, this is why it's going to go on for two-plus months. It, we're, we're probably looking at a full December and January just like we had at the end of this week. That's... But we'll, we'll have a pod next week about the CBA and about the money in it because I'm I'm trying to do the research into terms of like what each of these things they're talking about is worth. And I think once you know that research is out there, we can talk about it in terms of okay, these are the millions of dollars that need to go here and they need to go here, and this is what they need to give up, and this is this is the impasse right here. This is worth this, and the, maybe the owners think it's worth more or less. Right. Because that's that's what they're that's what they're arguing about. Of course, it's always what they're arguing about. It just. Every, I mean, it never changes. The core issue is always money. It just disguises itself in different rules and different things that they agree on. So you guys are right, though. We did, I would say, a, a 90% CBA free episode, which is probably going to be impossible <laughs> now moving one for forward. A while. <laughs> so enjoy it, everybody. I feel Revel like we have a lot of like coaching again. changes. If I had graphics We're allowed skills. to do coaching changes, right? Yeah. Coaching yeah. changes are allowed, right? We could talk about Let's that cover the time. crap out of coaching changes. <laughs> You will learn so much about the Oakland A's candidates for the next manager. You will wish. Yeah, let's have a whole whole episode of. I love we have we have three years of of Eno lamenting manager of the year as an award and and talking about how (laughs) stupid it is, and now we have to talk about the impact of of managers and those hires to get us through these these next two months. I mean, yeah, there's oh, it's been awful watching MLB Network today. They were just like, we don't know what we're gonna do. We can't show any current players. (laughs) They actually said that on Why are you even watching that? Because it's just like the default channel when I turn on the TV. Oh. They, and they, they were literally showing like uh, uh, games, like just random at bats from the 80s. Yeah. And they were like, and then they were like, hey, like, who do you, what do you think is going to happen here? A homer or a double? Or Wow. I mean, that's kind of fun. <laughs> and for Harold a few Reynolds minutes. is like, Harold Reynolds is sitting there going, like, ah, I don't think I was in the big leagues for this game. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember this game. <laughs> What's unfortunate? That's, that's our life. <laughs> What's unfortunate is like a network that already is not super watched, like MLB Network. When I was at MLB.com, they used to tell us that MLB.com got better traffic. So wow. a network that's already struggling to get any kind of viewership, um, this is only going to make it worse. And I think we'll delve into that in, in weeks to come. But. Um, a sport that suffered so badly the last time there was a really long lockout. It was strike, obviously, 94-95. Um, this isn't going to help anything. Uh, not being able to talk about the sport, not having anything else to talk about. Um, it's just really unfortunate. It is bad. I, I was looking at World Series ratings because uh, of an argument I was having with a friend. Um, and uh, the World, World Series like used to do really well in the seventy in like the seventies, and I think that doesn't even count because that's just a different world. Because you had three friggin' channels it's before, yeah, before cable. <laughs> it would yeah, they had like one one channel had the World Series on, the other one had like the night news on. You're like, okay, I'd rather watch the World Series. You had to make sparks so- <laughs> to dial a phone back then. Yeah, yeah. So I but in the modern era. The biggest downturn in viewership was 1995. And we have actually never recovered our World Series ratings to where it was in the in the early 90s. 
And that's a little bit complicated because there was also kind of the steroid era explosion, right? And like we had like some really compelling sort of single storylines that were happening in the early 90s. But I, I, like you look at it and it's like after 94, we never got back to the same World Series ratings. Yeah, it's uh, so. it, it, I, I don't think I'll make I'll make this prediction. This is my one CBA contribution for the episode. I don't think this lingers into March. And I think the main reason for that, I think the players, as much as I want them to get every single thing they deserve, and they deserve a lot, and the, the minimum pay for every player, major league players and minor league players, should be the biggest issue of all from just a pure economic standpoint. I think because of the players losing large portions of salary in 2020, they can't afford to not get paid this year. They just can't like that. It would have been difficult for a lot of players to to like hold the line anyway. But I just think the added pressure of that is part of what's going to like once again push things ultimately more in the favor of owners. We, even if even if the players I, I, move the ball a little bit, right? If they get more than they had, if they do better than they have done in the last CBA, which I think they will, I don't think they're going to get everything they want because that seems almost impossible for them. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is I've heard uh, from a couple of places that unions been saving up their licensing money. So uh, uh, yes. there's some some possibility mm-hmm. that the union could help anybody who like is like the minimum salary guys that are struggling to to kind of make it over like the idea of that wonder how long that actually could last and then the uh, other thing i'd like to say is i don't think the owners are actually as uh unified as they as people would like to make it seem because um if you think about like a cohen uh right now do you think he wants uh he wants there to be a season very badly <laughs> you know um uh, so you know i think that um, the fractures occur on both sides. And this is what we can talk about when we do a big show. But I think the fractures occur on both sides between the rich and the poor. And it might actually be easier to keep the rich and poor players together if you do have some sort of savings uh, as a union than it will be to keep the rich and poor owners apart because the things that separate the rich and poor owners are the th- fractures in the sport. You know, the the rich and the rich and poor, the poor owners always feel like the, you know, they got to rein the rich owners in and have more revenue sharing and do this and do that and like make the game more favorable for them because they can't win without all that money. And so I think that could be the big fracture that the players union could could actually kind of swim between. I have one comment before we go, uh, and that is there is a war chest. Max Scherzer talked about it um, in great detail a few days ago that they've been saving for. He said that they could go for a while with what they've saved up for players. So I don't think it's going to come down to like guys not or making the minimum not able to to cover their finance finances. Um, he said, hopefully they don't tap into it, but they've been saving this up for years. They've known since the last CBA ended in 16 or since the last CBA was negotiated in 16 that this was going to be a bad fight. So they've been they've been saving. Glad to hear it because. Um... Well, not not super glad to hear it because because <laughs> I don't really want them to just hold out till right. August because they can. Yeah, right. I, I understand that that impact directly on the three of us is right. very bad. But in the grand scheme of things, look, labor fair, needs to be compensated. Fight. It makes it a fairer fight too, because of course the owners could hold out longer because they have they they have more money. We we all work. People listening to this podcast mostly work. Like you want to be compensated fairly for the work that you do. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so if it takes if it takes longer than I think it's going to take because the players planned really well and have a way of of keeping their finances afloat into the season, then good for them for planning. Get everything you deserve. That's, that's what I hope happens. If it costs me something as a person who latches onto this game to make a living, well, hey, that's. And, there, tough, and despite the fact that there was a ton of big signings, there is a problem. The player's share of the overall pie is lower than it's ever been. And uh, in baseball versus the other sports, uh, there's more dependence on minimum salary players than in any other sport. And the minimum, like, the minimum salary players in the NBA are at 3%. We're at like 55%. I kid you not. And yeah. 55% of the league is making the minimum and it hasn't changed much in the, in, you know, it hasn't changed much in the, as league uh, revenue has kind of grown through the roof. So 
that that is a problem when you're using half the league is is on minimum minimum salary and the minimum salary hasn't changed really in in 10 years that's a big problem yeah let's wrap it because we're becoming a cba pod that's right that's right save it save it we we should have a five minute limit on cba talk on every episode during whatever five minute episodes Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do some other random stuff, but uh, get a subscription to The Athletic, 33% off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. All of the stories, all of the coverage of the the back and forth and the uh, the slinging of the mud, it is, mm-hmm. it is covered in great detail. So be sure to check that out on Twitter. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you're watching us on YouTube and you're still listening at this very end point of the show, thanks for making it this far. Be sure to barrel up on the like button for this video. We'd greatly appreciate that. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.